0: Hello, this is Examiner Radio, the weekly radio show and podcast that covers news, politics, and all things Halifax. I'm Tim Bousquet, editor of the Halifax Examiner, which is online at halifaxexaminer.ca. And as usual in the studio is Examiner Radio producer Russell Gregg. Hey, Russ. Hey, Tim. How was your week? Doing all right. all right. Um, I wanted to ask you about the bumper music on last week's shows Kind of, uh neo polka I think or something like that You what? mean uh, uh,
1: the the intro like the fr- as he came in yeah yeah, well, yeah, well. it was just looking for a change of pace you know we've uh I did some some listener uh, surveys uh about about examiner radio. how much did that cost oh me? <laughs> you'll get the bill later uh but uh you know they wanted uh, new fresh and uh and exciting music um they also wanted more wacky sound effects. Uh, we're supposed to have nicknames, so uh, you're the bear and I'm spazman, and uh, they, they want more uh, catchphrases. Huh. So, um, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. So from now on, like whenever a, a guest says something particularly controversial, you're supposed to say, well, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Uh, so really, they want more of a morning zoo kind of vibe. Uh, maybe some sex references? <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, um, <laughs>
0: I don't know <laughs> where, where to, go, where with to that. go. with that? Yeah, uh, I'll just get back on script here. <laughs> Th- this is episode sixty-four of Examiner Radio, and you can listen to it on CKDU eighty-eight point one FM in Halifax and environs on Fridays at four thirty or through the series of tubes that are connected all around the
1: world at www.ckdu.ca. And you can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and have each new episode automatically delivered to your device of choice. Just type Halifax Examiner in the iTunes search engine and it's the first result. And please take a moment to rate and review the show while you're there. I'm not even sure why we ask people to do that because it doesn't... I mean, we're not selling ads on this, you know, we're no. not selling sponsorships, so uh, yeah, uh, don't give us a- uh, Yeah, yeah. What do we yeah. care?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Today, uh, we'll speak with Brendan Sommerhalder, who is a candidate in the District 8 city election in October, which is, uh, District 8 is the north part of the Halifax Peninsula, um, so he'll be on in a moment. First up, though, uh,
1: we have the Week in Review. All right. It's, uh, it's heading into summer, which means there's very little to talk about. Yeah. Uh, it's the, um, not quite the dog days, which is generally relegated to August, but uh, it's quiet. It's really quiet. It, uh, City Council this Tuesday, any more donaire resolutions? Anything else? To-
0: no, for, uh, uh, an interesting and, and good discussion on the cost of uh, transit and how that relates to the low-income population. You know, counselors were at their best, uh, Tuesday during that discussion, uh, uh, really trying to wrap their heads around the issues, uh, trying to understand how to best approach it. Um, I, I really can't fault the conversation for where it was going. I, uh, the, the bottom line is, um, there are people who, uh, lots of people who simply don't have the financial means to, uh, often take the bus and the problem at its heart is, uh, the social assistance payments are not high enough. Right. But, uh and there's people that fall through the cracks. They do provide, uh, social assistance does provide some transportation money, uh, but not to everyone. And um Gloria McCluskey uh, spoke of people, of, of, of a man she knows who after he pays his rent has $70 a month, you know, total. to buy buy food and and everything else he needs. So a bus bus pass is not uh, being factored into that, obviously. $78 for a bus pass. Um, And, uh, you know, so council council has to address this the best way they can. So they're running a uh, pilot program just to demonstrate what reduced costs uh, bus passes will mean for low-income people. There's some thought that uh, it could actually end up – being revenue neutral in that it will
1: increase ridership. So we'll see. That's why we're having a pilot program. Right. So if, I mean, if somebody can't afford to ride the bus, is not dipping into Metro Transit revenue to give them a bus pass. Right. right? Well,
0: yes. Um, right. Right. Presumably some of those people are paying, you know, full price now. So they'll be paying less. I mean, we'll see. I mean,
1: yeah. And are they talking about like a, a a cutoff line like if you if you earn this amount yeah it,
0: the details are are too involved for me to go into okay. right right now but yeah there's a it's means tested okay. um so they'll see your income and so forth not the most elegant solution to the problem uh, but uh it, again i I really can't fault counsel for at least uh attempting to wrestle
1: with this okay. so yeah also on uh, the uh, the transportation side of things uh a, a, Push is afoot to lower the speed limit on Spring Garden Road. You talked about this a little bit. Uh, I can wait till you're finished texting. That's okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm having my paint my
0: porch painting, which is not a euphemism. <laughs>
1: anyway. when, when when the painter texts, you must answer. Yeah, yes. You know, uh, for whom the sorry text about that buzzes. Uh, you have my undivided attention. <laughs> um, so, yeah, proposal to lower the speed limit on Spring Garden Road from 50 kilometers an hour down to 30. Uh, whose, whose idea was this? Oh, this is this lawyer,
0: McKigan. I don't know that anyone can travel 30 kilometers per hour on Spring Garden Road as it is. But uh, uh, So I, I think more than anything, he's just trying to raise it. Uh, attention to the the broader issue of pedestrian safety on Spring Garden Road uh which isn't uh, a crazy thing to do because we're about to embark on a streetscaping project for the for the road next year uh wider sidewalks whole bunch of what they call street furniture so benches and new trees and so forth many millions of dollars about to be dumped into the street so this might be a good time to actually talk about uh, how traffic goes through the street
1: uh he he knows this lawyer knows that uh reduced speed limits also result in fewer personal injury lawsuits right (laughs) yeah Um, and that's (laughs) his that's his business Uh, uh,
0: (laughs) cynically maybe he's just trying to draw attention to his get some free advertising but
1: uh Uh, so I mean, what about the idea of just making Spring Garden off-limits to vehicles during certain times of day? Yeah, you know, it's tricky,
0: Um, and I'm not going to speak—this is not my area of expertise, but I I can't tell you this. I've seen pedestrian malls um, all around the world. Some succeed and some fail. Pretty much all the European cities, uh, the older European cities, which is awesome, <laughs> uh, have uh, downtown courts that are pedestrianized, meaning that uh, only um, delivery vehicles can come in at certain right. times or whatever. And they seem to work. I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, and the big planning development when I was a uh, teenager was to turn Granby Street, the major street downtown, into a pedestrian mall. Utterly failed now they've in in the last decade they've reopened the street to traffic and it's a thriving retail area um when i lived out in los angeles uh same thing with santa monica mall they um it was it was the worst place you can imagine uh the pedestrian mall on i think it was third street third avenue maybe it's fifth forget um but uh uh, somehow that place has turned around and now it's thriving and it's still a pedestrian mall. So I think the devil is in the details on these things and we should not uh, just rush into them. We
1: got to really think about how to do it. Interesting. Hmm? Uh, you're uh, speculating that there may be a fall provincial election around the corner.
0: Well, uh, John Jean, Jean LaRoche, who is the CBC reporter, uh, reported that uh the liberals have told all their riding associations to have candidates in place by labor day so um why would that be if they were not that they're planning on a fall election
1: it's a little early in the, i mean it's, it's only 3 years into the into the term
0: uh, yeah I, you know the speculation all along is that uh they want to be able to go to the electorate on a platform that says um we're controlling costs we've beaten down those unions they got rid of those filthy actors, <laughs> and uh, before those pressures start popping up again, and and also there's sort of the honeymoon glow of Justin Trudeau, which translates also into positive opinion polls uh, numbers for for Stephen McNeil on the provincial level, and uh, you know the fear is that that will uh, start to fade after a while, uh, and they'll invariably it will, I yeah. Mean, it, yeah, it just has to. Um, so why not have an election now is the thought.
1: Okay. Is there a <laughs> risk of voter fatigue with uh, two elections, a municipal and a provincial, happening around the same time?
0: This this happened two elections ago, two provincial elections ago when the Dexter government came in. Uh, there was a city election the same year, and um, a voter turnout for the city election was very, very low. It's hard to say exactly what uh, what uh, affects these things, but that seemed to have.
1: Happen,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so and voter
1: confusion, where, you know, a number of people wrote in Daryl Dexter as a as a city councilor. <laughs> uh, that confused well, I'm a lot. Sure, I'm
0: sure it did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, as I recall, I'm not 100% sure, but as I recall, the, the two elections were a week apart. So yeah, pretty, uh, it's asking a bit more mm-hmm. than is usual of citizens. But come on, this is that really so difficult?
1: I don't know. Okay. Uh and th- I guess the big story is uh we reported last week that uh the Halifax Typographical Union which represents striking uh Chronicle Herald employees were finally for the first time since the strike started back in January they're finally uh sitting down with Chronicle Herald management uh, and a provincially appointed arbitrator or meet not arbitrator mediator. Yeah. Those talks Started on Friday, last Friday, yeah. and uh, then abruptly broke off on Wednesday of this week. Um,
0: yeah, they sent out the union sent out a press release saying that uh, uh, the demands from the company have actually increased. So um, talks uh, made the situation worse, I guess. Now they now the company wants to lay off half the union. Before it was just eight positions. Now it's whatever half of fifty seven is. Yeah, twenty eight. And uh they also want to reduce salaries by twenty percent, so that that was a, a the union had to walk away from that so it
1: certainly sounded like they had no intention of bargaining in good faith if you, if you If you have a position and then you you agree to sit down with an even harsher position really i mean yeah. it seems to me like they they had no intention of of taking the negotiation seriously. I did get chief operating officer for the Chronicle Herald, Ian Scott, uh, on the line earlier this morning, uh, just to ask him if he wanted to, uh, talk about how the negotiations went, um, here on examiner radio. Uh, and he said, uh, I made a statement when the talks broke down, uh, we're not prepared to negotiate through the media, which I think is a that's little, what, that's what he said. That was, that's a yeah. quote. Um, yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, he's not going to uh, expound upon it. This, uh, to say this is not good is
0: an understatement. Um, yeah, I, don't, I, I just see no resolution of this whatsoever.
1: So, as I mentioned, um, Ian Scott, the COO of uh, the Chronicle Herald, wouldn't speak with uh, Examiner Radio. But we do have Halifax Typographical Union VP Frank Campbell uh, waiting for us on the line here. So, uh, let's have a chat with him. I'm joined on the phone with uh, Frank Campbell, who's vice president at the
0: Halifax Typographical Union, which is the union representing the newsroom employees at the Chronicle Herald. Hi, hi Frank. Hi, how are you? Okay, we are talking on Thursday. Um, last night, you folks sent out a press release um, saying that talks with the company have broken down. Uh,
3: yes, we, uh, we approached a... Uh a provincial mediator who uh, sort of brought us together with the company uh, over the last week and a half, and uh, we submitted a proposal, uh, a package proposal, and uh, uh, we were told that they would either say yes or no to this, but uh, instead they uh, they came back with a counter-proposal, and... Uh, Anyway, yeah, uh, we we just assumed that their counter-proposal was a no to our proposal, and that
0: was the end of it, yeah. The, uh, uh, the, the way I understand it is uh, the company is making even greater demands of the union now than when the strike started.
3: Well, that's correct. Uh, you know, our most recent proposal was what we thought was uh, as low as we could go or yeah In the sub- sub basement as we called it and uh and instead of uh the company uh, then moving towards us, they moved further away and uh and came up with a counter proposal that was even worse than the uh than than the proposal we had turned down before
0: we went on strike so taking away eighteen uh editors um moving them outside the union pay cuts of twenty to forty thousand per person yeah uh they, and then laying off half half the union uh
3: the layoffs, including the people who have already left uh you know four of us yeah. have already uh departed that number would be up to thirty and uh you know we started with sixty one so yeah, it's about a half Jeez. And, uh, and really, from our perspective uh you know this is a newspaper a news gathering organization which apparently has about four hundred employees, sixty some of which uh actually. Produce content, and uh, the Herald wants to uh, get rid of half of those, and apparently no one else.
0: Yeah, were you in the room directly? I was. Yeah. What was that like?
3: Um, it uh, it was a bit less than cordial. Uh, it was <laughs> professional, but no one, uh, you know, you know. We thought we went as far as we could, and uh, just to be sort of, uh, get somebody to spit that back in your face. Was,
0: uh, yeah. Who, who was sitting across the table from you?
3: Uh, sitting across the table was the Harold uh, lawyer, Grant Macham, and yeah. uh, Ian Scott, and uh, a couple of other employees.
0: Okay. What's, what's the mood like uh, on the picket line now? Uh,
3: actually, we, I haven't been to the picket line, but we had a meeting this morning. To uh, to address people's concerns after four months, obviously, and the most recent happenings, and uh, the mood was uh, surprisingly upbeat. I thought uh, for you know for a group who's been on strike for that long, yeah. You know, uh, you know, there was some, everybody still pulling in the same direction.
0: Anyway, so what happens now?
3: Well, that's a very good question because we're not exactly sure what happens. Uh, you know, we've told our membership and they agree that we've, uh, you know, that offer that we put forth, and most recently, is as low as we can go. So, yeah. to me, that tells me, or <clears throat> should tell anyone, that uh, the next move has got to be from the Conquire.
0: I can't, uh, you know, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, uh, but uh, I can't help but think probably... Uh, most of the people are are out there looking for other work, and and um, th- this this may never resolve.
3: Well, that's that's certainly a possibility. We we've considered and talked about. We don't we don't talk about it a lot, but uh, you know, if you meet someone on the line, yeah, you know, they're, they're likely to say to you, "Well, I don't think they're we're ever going back." That's uh, that's to say, "Geez, I hope this is over soon." So. Um, and if uh, people aren't uh, looking for
0: other jobs, I'd be very, very surprised. Yeah. Well, look, um, best of luck to you. Um, we'll, we'll come out and visit you uh, on the line uh, soon. I haven't been out there in a little bit, so um, okay. uh, we'll talk in person. Um, All right. Th- Good. Thanks for talking with us today. Appreciate it, Tim. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. We've been speaking with Frank Campbell, who is the vice president of the Halifax Typographical Union. We'll come back after this. Okay, we're joined in the studio with Brendan Sommerholder. Am I saying your name right? Close enough. Sommerhalder. Summerholder. Or, Summerholder. Sorry, you have this hugely long name. It's, it's
2: true. It's, I've been battling it uh, since I was born.
0: Okay, so uh, you are running for Halifax Council in District Eight, which is the north end
2: of Halifax. Uh, it's the north, northern half of the peninsula. So yeah. a lot of folks would certainly everything that people would call the north end is in there. A lot of central Halifax is in there, and a lot of the west end too.
0: Why would one want to do such a thing as run for council?
2: I've been spending a lot of my free time uh, thinking about municipal issues and policies that affect it, and I've sort of wiggled my way into a position with the uh, not-for-profit downtown Halifax Business Commission to work on some of these issues. Uh, that's been fun. I've been blogging, writing, et cetera, about it. Every now and again, an opportunity hits you where factors come together, and, and it seems right to make a big move. Uh, Jennifer Watts isn't re-offering. She's uh, probably the smartest councillor on council right now. I have some concern with how some of the conversations with regard to the long-term plans that we're discussing right now will go. Uh, we have a center plan, moving forward together, integrated mobility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a good opportunity for me to jump in there and, and try to make some change.
0: Let's back up. Who the heck is Brendan Samarone?
2: <laughs> that guy. Uh, so I moved to Halifax. I'm, I'm, I'm a come from away, and I'm proud to be here. I, you might have read that on my website. I moved here about eight years ago. I've been from, in North, where? Uh, from Winnipeg. So I'm uh, my uh, my uh, my parents are a first generation Canadians. Uh, folks moved here from Germany and Switzerland, and uh, were, we're farmers in Saskatchewan and then in Manitoba. Uh, my father served in the navy here in Halifax, which is when I first fell in love with Halifax as a three, five, or six, or whatever year old, hearing stories about the Maritimes. Uh, so so I'm from I'm from Winnipeg. I'm a come from away. From from, from Winnipeg, uh, and I've chosen the North End as my home. Uh, so that's, that's where I live, and that's where I spend a lot of my volunteer and otherwise time. Uh, right now, I work for Downtown Halifax Business Commission as Director of Marketing. It's a really interesting position to be in, to be working on behalf of independent businesses and all the businesses in the downtown, not just on business-type things, but also on some of the issues we'll talk about today.
0: You also have been uh, employed by a marketing firm?
2: yeah I was with Extreme Group, and so I was a strate- what did you do? I was a strategic planner uh, for them so uh, my my career is pretty pretty weird. Uh, I moved to Halifax. Uh, for grad school. I went to St. Mary's University. It was uh, psychology. Uh, In grad school in psychology, you do a lot of stats and a lot of qualitative, quantitative data collection, that kind of thing. Uh, From there, I worked for corporate research associates as a statistician and an organizational consultant, did some blogging and writing about city issues, Uh, did some work with Mayor Savage's campaign, then just a candidate. Well, I was
0: was going to land there. So (laughs) you uh, were associated with Mike Savage's Campaign uh, to be honest, not a not a hard slog, you know. Uh, no, no. Campaign. Actually,
2: the, the hardest part about the campaign was was not seeing to uh, Savage winning, but it was to actually getting people interested in the election at all. Yeah.
0: So, um, are you associated with the Liberal Party?
2: No, not at all. Uh, I did I did volunteer for the Liberal Party back in Manitoba when I was out there. Uh, since I've been in Nova Scotia, I have uh, pretty much completely neglected party politics on purpose. I found it really frustrating. I didn't think towing the line was. The way that I like to make decisions, I like to be able to see new information, change my mind, and, and that kind of thing. So I've, I have no uh, no affiliation with a political party uh, here at all.
0: What what particular issues are you are you trying to promote in your campaign?
2: Yeah. So every candidate's probably going to give you like a like a like a buzzwordy top line thing, and, and they'll all pretty vibrant, much, yeah, ex- vibrant. <laughs> that's right, vibrant. So they'll they'll all pretty much agree. Uh, I've chosen you know some buckets. You know, make make Halifax an easy place to live, which means find housing that is affordable for you, which means be able to find employment. Uh, you know, e- equity for all, blah blah blah. Also, uh, make Halifax an easy place to get around, so that has to do with our transportation networks and good urban focused development and that kind of thing. And also to make Halifax a place that's fun, so that has to do with things like great public spaces, uh, support for culture and arts, uh, urban greenways, that kind of thing. So those are the high-level things that I think every single candidate will agree on. They'll just
0: sounds just, like you want to raise our taxes.
2: <laughs> you know, raising taxes is not all by itself a, a, a bad thing. I mean, yeah. you know, governments are in place to do good work for the community as long as there's value being produced there. Uh, taxes are one way that we, we do things together. We we big, build projects bigger than ourselves when we pool our resources. So, so tax is not a dirty word for me
0: okay do you have any specific um initiatives you'd like to champion
2: yeah so in our district just to be a little bit provincial and talk about the district uh, specifically before we talk about the municipality uh wholly uh the the emergency of displacement among our vulnerable communities is uh it, it's it's an emergency um the fact that there are are folks who uh, you know could talk to them today and in two months uh you could talk to them today and they're, they're worried about whether they'll be able to afford their home in a month and you talk to them in two months and they're they're living on the street. Uh, that's moving fast. There are lots of people like that. Uh, every single month there are a new swath of folks who used to have their home and they've been in that home for generations and, and now they can't afford it. Uh, the municipality needs to look at this seriously. There's enough of our folks who are in the situation that it's become an emergency.
0: I hear that is an issue. What's the specific
2: response to it? I think it all comes down to good planning rules. Uh, it all comes down to legislation. Um, so, as right now, our our planning rules are are, are agnostic or indifferent to the effect that uh, a particular uh, development might have on the community around it. There is no 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 assessment about who might be displaced, who might be able to afford it after the fact. What will it do to property values and that kind of thing? And those are the issues that, because they've been ignored, have been allowed to run rampant and have, have caused this problem. So I think that there are some policy solutions like inclusionary zoning, which is something that uh, Solidarity Halifax and ACORN have been pushing forward, something that's uh, taken hold in Ontario, and it seems to be working. Uh, it looks like a good potential policy. Uh, and also just there, there are other smaller things that we can do that have the – almost accidental effect of creating smaller, more local ownership, things like mandating smaller footprints for what can be developed rather than very, very big ones, which uh, puts it in the realm of the local and not the realm of the international.
0: You, you uh, have mentioned a few things here. You have mentioned vulnerable population and the effects, uh, you didn't use this word, but the effects of gentrification and, and housing price increases on vulnerable populations. You have also have mentioned ACORN and Solidarity Halifax. So uh, I think what a lot of people want to know is uh, Solidarity Halifax had floated their own candidate and then withdrew them um, in response to Lindell Smith running, who was uh, from one of those vulnerable populations. Why should you run, given that context?
2: Everyone should run who feels the inclination, and I think we're seeing the effects of that uh, in our district. So we have a pretty good uh, roster of folks who are running right now. Uh, you mentioned Lindell Smith. He's mm. African Nova Scotian. Uh, there's, we had him here on the podcast. You had him here, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a great interview. I enjoyed it very much and, and learned some things. Um, there's Virginia Hinch, who's also mm. an Afri- African Nova Scotian uh, woman. She works with the Housing Authority, so she would have a really interesting perspective um, Anthony Kowalski is African-British in the district. Uh, Chris Poole is running. He has a lot of experience uh, in, in, in running. I have none uh, of that. So there, there is a pretty great uh, breadth of, of folks who are running. And I think that's what we need to see, not just in District 8, uh, but also all across the municipality. We've seen uh, somebody running against uh, Tony Mancini, who's... Uh, been working with uh, with Ceasefire Halifax. He is an African yep. Nova male. If, if we start to see greater diversity in the candidates across the municipality, what we're going to see is greater diversity and better representation on council.
0: I guess I was asking, you, why are you better than all those folks?
2: Better? Well, I don't know about better. Uh, what democracy is, is we go and we make our pitch. Uh, we, we talk about who we are, what we see, and how we plan to get it done, and we let people decide. Um, I don't know that I'm better. Uh, I, I posit that I have something good to offer, and I'll leave it up to the electorate to decide that.
0: Fair enough. Uh, let me just jump in, if people are just tuning in, and, and say that I'm, uh, I'm with Brendan Sommerhalder, who is a candidate for, in District 8 in the north part of the Halifax Peninsula. We'll call it that rather <laughs> That's than right you uh you have experience on on a campaign like savages you have um i think it's accurate to say you've 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 kind of you have made lots of connections in in your recent career how's your campaign going to run you're going to have a a big high finance campaign is this uh, how's that coming
2: I've been really lucky in Halifax. I've been here for a short amount of time and I didn't land in any sort of predefined uh, group. Uh, I don't have a a big business or a bank or or a conglomerate or a developer or anything like that uh, pushing for me. I don't have a party that is a natural constituency, so so I'm just another guy who's been here for eight years, and the connections that I've made uh, while I've been here have are the connections that I have, and I'm trying to sell that that brand. Uh, I am publishing all of my <clears throat> excuse me all of my uh, donations that I get on a monthly basis online, so you can check that out right now. It's not very big. I don't believe there's a single developer on there uh, at this point. I haven't talked to any. Um, if they read my published work about stuff, uh, per- perhaps that's not perhaps that's why I'm not getting contact. Th- this is a them.
0: good opportunity to direct people to your. your your website which is brendan the
2: easiest way is just to go to vote okay uh, you could spell that anyway i've got mm. that covered brendan uh,
0: is uh, two e's <laughs>
2: that's right yeah. yeah some people if i say two e's they go Brendine. Yeah. so i'll just say vote b-r-e-n-d-e-n dot c-a or just google me or whatever
0: uh, it's problem with guys like us with difficult uh, <laughs> last names um You've you've already built a a, a website and uh, get into some of these issues. If you could do one or two things as a sitting counselor, what would it what would those one or two things be?
2: Get center plan right. Uh, I think that's the top of mind for me right now. So if you look at some of the issues that uh, are coming up pretty hot in the community right now, for example, the homes, not Honda's, the Colonial Honda demolition um, plans. That has all to do with our planning documents. So while it's an incredibly unfortunate scenario and it's too bad that it takes something so catastrophic to uh, tune folks into this type of thing, Planning bylaws and, and the rules that govern what gets developed really, really matter to our everyday lives. So getting center plan right, making it enforceable, and also improving the kind of uh, feedback that we're able to get from the community is going to be really important. I'm,
0: I'm, uh, I'm cynical about planning exercises. I am too. And the reason I'm cynical is I looked at all the thousands of hours of community input that went into HRM by design. And, you know, in on paper and in theory, it was this great idea that, hey, we're going to streamline the development process so long as you stay within these parameters, uh, you can build what you want, uh, and we'll get, you know, that supposedly groovy, vibrant downtown as a result of this. Um, but written right into the rules was the Borg coming down on Argyle Street, uh, the ugliest goddamn building in, in, in the city, frankly, and... For some reason, uh, which I still don't understand, uh, the South Barrington uh, Historical District is just being decimated as we speak. So the, the it failed. I mean, that's my view of it. And so why should any citizen out there put any amount of time into getting involved in this plan?
2: You brought up a few things there I'd like to comment on. So, yeah, we moved too fast on Nova Center, and I think writing into the plan was a mistake, and we were moving too slow on South Barrington, uh, and we're moving too slow on heritage issues generally. If I was part of council, I would have, I assume. I mean, it's hard to say what you would have done, uh, but I believe at this point in time, if I was sitting on council at the time, uh, I wouldn't have supported writing Nova Center into HRM by the I, I
0: firmly believe um, that uh, the game was rigged. I'll just put it that way that uh, the powers that be, and I have an idea of who those are, but uh, wanted this particular project go to go forward. Uh, the public input be damned, and it, it was in the cards, and it, and, it, and they made it happen. You know, it seems to me that I want I, I want to ask everyone uh, running for council: Can you stand up to that?
2: Yeah, fair enough. I think you in particular have made some really good arguments uh, toward this idea that the game uh, might have been rigged. I, I don't know. i, I- cannot comment on that. I have no more information than the rest of the public has. Uh, can I stand up to that? I, I, I think yes. Uh, I'm getting into this because I think yes. It was part of the soul-searching I did and conversations I had with other people as to whether I have the kind of principles uh, and, and the ability to stick to them and the personality to do that. Um, I also chatted with Councillor Watts about this uh, You know because she has been a role model for me in how you might approach yeah. uh, these difficult types of issues. Uh, and she gave me some really great advice. One piece of advice that she said, uh, and I think I, know, I knew this um but to hear it so succinctly was was amazing she said you can't make you can't vote for something unless you're willing to explain why you voted for it later seems really simple but if you level that down to things like trading votes for other votes on council or trading votes for donations or, or power, whatever that other thing might be, that would get really, really difficult to, to stick to that. Uh, so I think if you just stick with a set of principles, uh, know how you want to make decisions and proceed that way, you can resist that kind of pressure. I think it's possible.
0: Okay. Uh, we're, we're going through, and I, I don't want to get too off topic, we don't have a lot of time, uh, but we're going through a, a transition in council. Um, I think it's likely that we'll end up with just one or two women on, on council, um after this coming election i don't know how we address these things i think this is reflecting the larger council districts but uh what do you think about uh the dynamic on council now how things are going um i guess i would just preface it by saying i don't feel like there's enough dissension on council and that that old thing about bickering which i really loved um it is not uh, present to a degree that serves us uh what are your thoughts on that
2: I think you're right. Uh, I think it's not just on council. It is on council. I'll get to council. But I, I think it's systemic through a lot of the decision-making stuff that we do on the, in the municipality. As you know, I, I chaired the planning advisory committee yeah. for the peninsular region. And to my surprise, uh, the volunteer citizen chair of that committee hosts public meetings on on some of these more contentious uh, development issues. So I've been up there in the front of the room doing the traffic cop thing uh, with regard to people's comments and the and the, the proponent and, and the committee. And it's, it's an uncomfortable but important uh, place to be. But when I look up at those rooms, or when I did look up at those rooms, you, you would always see that the people that were in the rooms were older, richer, and whiter than the rest of the population. And as soon as we can admit that 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 is true of how we're running no. our public participation we have an obligation to do something actively about that i think that's true in our public consultation processes and i also think it's true about council you're right uh, we have too few women it's uh, too white it's too old it's too rich on council uh, we need to see a much greater diversity in the candidates across all of the districts in the municipality so that when people make their choices about who they want to vote for what you end up getting is a more diverse council.
0: Um we've got about 2 minutes left. Uh is there anything you particularly want to talk about?
2: Sure. I mean, I guess the other reason that that I'm I'm so keen to 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 do this and to really throw my name uh into this uh is because I I think I can be effective in this context. I'm not really interested in just being elected generally. I don't think party politics works well for me. I think being able to bring Uh, diverse levels of stakeholders together, people who have different points of view, uh, is a strength of mine. It's something I've been able to do, put uh, the right people in the same room with the right uh, perspectives and the right attitudes uh, to go ahead and get something done. Uh, One of those examples was the Argyle Street shared uh, pilot project that we did last year. I led that from DHBC's perspective, and that was really in the middle of businesses, the public, city departments, a lot of people who disagreed about a lot of things, and this year we're, we're seeing the fruits of that pilot project, and I'm really, really proud of it.
0: We're talking about the Argyle Street um,
2: streetscaping. And I think District 8 uh, is is ready for that kind of attention also, and that's something that if elected, I I would look to take that experience that we had on Argyle Street and pick some other corridors that might be able to have that attention in the north end as well.
0: Okay, well, look, uh, thanks for coming in and best of luck in the election. Um, It is one of the more interesting districts uh, in terms of the electoral politics going on. So uh, we'll be watching that carefully.
2: Thanks for having me on. This was really fun.
0: Great. Uh, I've been speaking with Brendan Salmanhalder, who is a candidate in District 8, which is the northern part of the Halifax Peninsula. We'll come back right after this. That's a wrap for this week's Examiner Radio, the weekly podcast and radio show produced by the Halifax Examiner.
1: I'm Tim Bousquet. And I'm Russell Grack. As always, we'd love to know what you think. If you have comments on what you've heard or story suggestions for future episodes, please send us an email to podcast at halifaxexaminer.ca. Until next week, your phrase is, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Uh, What are you going to do for bearded dragons in the North End?
2: Well, I I have actually a pretty uh, comprehensive uh, idea with regard to bearded dragons. I owned one for three years, and and, and that entire time he was in the North End. Uh, He liked to eat the the little yellow flowers that look like dandelions. Apparently they're not dandelions, but I think preserving uh, them as a food source for bearded dragons would be really important. (laughs)